earlier during this week, I, uh, I was feeling pretty down, feeling some despair, struggling. Uh, and uh, I did what I generally will do when I'm feeling that way. One of the things that I'll do is I got in touch with a dear friend of mine. And as I was beginning my conversation with my friend, I said to him, I said, you know, I feel bad. It seems like every time uh, lately that uh, I get in touch with you, it's because I'm struggling, I'm feeling some kind of despair. And, and what he said was, well, I don't want to sound trite or anything, but, you know, it is true that uh, that's what friends are for. Yeah. Yeah, as friends, we're, we're there for each other. Uh, we support each other when we're struggling. We support each other in our efforts to develop our goodness. And he reminded me of that. Uh, this group, this Sunday meditation group, uh, began three years ago, almost to the day. So we've been meeting here on Sunday mornings. We've missed a couple of Sundays because either I've been on retreat or I've been teaching a retreat. I think in three years we've missed four or five Sundays. Uh, we've been here uh, during this time since the start of the pandemic on Sunday, Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. Uh, if you uh, were in Europe when we started the group I was living in Europe in Berlin, so it was 4 p.m. Uh, the group started uh, three years ago as uh, uh, a place in the online world where we could meet as Kalyanamita, spiritual friends. Kalyanamita, where we could meet and support each other in. Uh, this time that was so difficult and challenging and uh, so unusual for us. Uh, and we've continued to meet in that spirit uh, for three years. This is one of the uh, blessings and purposes of Kalyanamita, spiritual friendship. The spiritual friendship includes our teachers and our and our, our friends, our peers on the path. Uh, one of the purposes is to support each other in meeting the experiences of life. Uh, in particular, in meeting change, meeting the vicissitudes of life, uh, which is really, again, was the foundation for this group, this period of uh, change and difficulty. The Buddha speaks of life as being made of these vicissitudes, these modalities of change. He identifies four inherent modalities of change, pleasure and pain, gain and loss, status and disrepute, praise and blame. It's one of the ways that he uh, helps us understand uh, what change comprises. Another way, of course, is, uh, and he says we should reflect often uh, on 
the way change manifests in illness, aging, death, and separation. All beings are subject to illness, aging, death, and separation. As Kalyanamita, we support each other in meeting uh, these vicissitudes of life. Uh, the change is that we all go through as part of what it is to be a human being. We support each other in meeting uh, suffering, difficulty, as we have during these last years. This is really, I like to think of as, you know, the Buddha's way of describing relationship, skillful relationship. Uh, and when we're in relationship, uh, our purpose as, as Buddhists, as good Buddhists, if we want to use that uh, way of designating as Dhamma students, our purpose in relationship is to support each other, to support the other uh, uh, in uh, our efforts to meet our suffering skillfully, uh, to support the other in the other's efforts, or to support each other in our efforts to develop our goodness, to know happiness of heart, true happiness. This is the meaning of relationship. And it's essential to the path. It's essential to the path. It was like when the Buddha set out to teach, the first thing he did was he started a community he started a community. He said, if we're going to meet life skillfully, if we're going to meet our dukkha, and I knew that we were going to have to meet suffering in order to know happiness, and if we were going to develop the happiness of heart you know, uh, in this life, we were going to need others, we were going to need each other. So the first thing that he did was start a community. So really the first thing that I thought to do you know, as a teacher you know, when the pandemic uh, began, was to start a group, to start a, the Sunday morning group. want to just, uh, you know, express and uh, perhaps in the spirit of redundancy, uh, reiterate uh, my gratitude to uh, all the beings who've come to this group over the last three years, who've certainly supported me in my efforts to, to meet the difficulties and challenges of this time and to further develop my practice and open my heart uh, and uh, you know, express my gratitude uh, for your practice and for your commitment to this group. I'm, I'm very grateful that we've had the opportunity to be able to meet over these last three years, you know, which for the better part of these last three years, or a good part of it, uh, in a meeting in person was not possible, you know, or not advisable. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm very grateful that we've had an opportunity to meet due to the technology. Uh, Perhaps people might say, well, that's strange coming from you, who oftentimes professes uh, an antipathy towards tech various technology. But I'm grateful that we've been able to meet because of the technology. You know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, when I, when I moved to Berlin, uh, I, tried, I, I set up uh, a way to offer teachings online 
Uh, this is before the pandemic. I called it the Dharma Student Projects. Many of you participated in that. Some of you I met through that, quite a few actually, where I was and am offering one-on-one -on -one teaching to folks online. Uh, partly I did that uh, uh, because you know I had a lot of students in the US, uh, but also just to be able to keep teaching uh, when I was living in a you know a, a new country where I wasn't really teaching so much, uh, and it was really uh, rewarding and, and 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 beneficial I think. But a lot most people weren't that comfortable with the technology. To be honest with you, I mean there were a few people who yeah this is great I'll do Skype. And gradually I kind of found Zoom and I realized Zoom was a little better and. Uh, you know, but most people, you know, there's this gap uh, uh, when you're introducing a different format, a different technology, and, you know, most people weren't comfortable with that gap, crossing that gap. But, of course, once the pandemic happened, you know, we didn't have much choice. So all of a sudden, overnight, everybody was on Zoom. Uh, everybody was, uh, you know, coming to groups like this in this online format. So we've kind of learned to meet the challenges, and we've been able to do that to some extent in a group like this because of the technology, but we've done what we've had to do to support each other and ourselves during this time. Yeah. I mean, change is challenging, you know. Uh, in general, you know, life is challenging. That's why the Buddha said we have to form a group because we're going to be meeting the experiences of life, which, you know, is woven through with change. You know, that's that's the central uh, experience of life is change. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the last three years have been very challenging with the kinds of changes uh, that we've gone through. And there's a tendency that most of us have, I would say, I was going to say many of us, but you know, oftentimes I say many, if not most, or many, most of us struggle with change, dislike change, fight change. Uh, so we've had to learn uh, to meet the difficulties of these last three years skillfully with wisdom, with an open heart, with acceptance, uh, to meet change gracefully is our practice so that we can make the most of this life. So after three years, uh, after three years, things are so different, right? Uh, everything is different. Everything is different. Each of us after three years uh, is, is different. We've all changed. Uh, for each of us, our lives are different. And the world is different. The world is different. And it's always this way, you know, and this is what the Buddha teaches us, it's always this way. I will grow different. I will grow different, separate from all that is dear and appealing to me. This is a central truth of the way life is. You know, we're subject to anicca, impermanence, and constancy. So in this life, we're in a constant process of change from day to day. 
from moment to moment. You know, we're asked to pay attention to this. You know, to pay attention to this. And we're asked to learn to pay attention to this in our meditation practice to see the change that takes place from breath to breath. You know, in our, in our prosaic way of uh, describing the skills that we develop, we, I, us, we call this step two in the meditation. You know? We're looking closely at the breath and we see how the breath changes. The term the Buddha uses is the breath is subject to origination and passing. You know, it's changing even within the course of one breath or even within the course of an in-breath or an out-breath. The breath is changing. Sometimes people come to this practice and they start uh, to learn these steps and sometimes people say, oh, every breath is the same. Well, that might be a starting point for you, but what we're learning to uh, to see is that every breath is different. Every breath is different than the one before it. As Suzuki Roshi used to say, nothing is repeated. That was one of the, the great tenets of his teaching. Nothing is repeated. I will grow different. So this is always true. Uh, but sometimes it's particularly true or particularly noticeable, uh, the changes that we've gone through and the world has gone through. It's been particularly noticeable over the course of these last three years. The Buddha said uh, we need to look and to see how things change and to see the subtle nature of experience. And then there's also sometimes things change and experience is more blatant, more obvious. Some things may be more subtle, some things may be blatant, but, but the, the certain truth is that everything is different. You know, the world is different, you know. We've gone through lots of change. We're different. You know, we're different. We've gone through lots of change. Now the tendency, and we may even be feeling it now as I'm speaking, the tendency that we may have I have to be careful to say that we all have, but that many of us, most of us, may have the tendency, the common tendency, is to want things not to change or to want things to be the way that they were. I want things to be the way that they were. Yeah. Sometimes we call, you know, this is sort of a, a function or a subset of the wanting mind. You know, the wanting mind is wanting what we don't have. I don't want the way things are. I want them to be the way that they were. Or another function of the wanting mind is not wanting what we have. I don't want what we have. Right? It's one of the things I've kind of struggled with. I said, I don't want to be meeting online all the time, right? this tendency uh, to want things to be the way they are, this tendency of the wanting mind. So this, this mind state, which is really, we could call it an emotion, this quality of wanting, if it's wanting what we don't have or not wanting what we have, and it's one of the primary ways that the Buddha characterized the mind that is in, 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 entangled uh, you know, 
You know, it's a mind that's entangled. It is a mind that's entangled. This is the one of the ways that we cling. You know, we cling to this mind state, this wanting mind, and we go into thought worlds, right? Clinging leads to going into thought worlds, something we've talked about a lot over the last three years. So we're in an entangled state or a dissonant state, and we're unclear, we're unclear. The body is contracted. Uh, and we're not able to uh, function in the most effective way. We're in a compromised state. When I think about this tendency that we have to want things to be the way that they were, uh, I think of this story that uh, one of our former mayors in New York City, some of you may remember, uh, Mayor Koch, uh, was mayor of New York City during the 80s. Uh, and uh, Mayor Koch told the story of how just a few days after he was elected for the first time, uh, he was walking along the boardwalk. Just a couple of days after his election, he was walking along the boardwalk in Coney Island and. Uh, an elderly woman uh, came up to him and said, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, can you make it like it used to be? Can you make it like it used to be? And Mayor Koch said, you know, he said, he said, I'll do my best. You know, but he said what he was thinking was, it was never the way it used to be. It was never the way it used to be. The mind, in its entanglement, uh, has ideas about the way things used to be that really, it really wasn't the way it was in our minds. But certainly there's this tendency to want to make things the way that they were. So we may see this in ourselves, you know, uh, as we are uh, in this process of change that we've been in over the last three years. We want to make things like they were, the way we'd like them to be. And, you know, we're fighting the truth of change. We're fighting, we may find ourselves fighting uh, the truth of change and the way things have changed. We may find ourselves forcing the issue to make things a certain way, perhaps the way they used to be, even though they never used to be the way they used to be in our minds. And of course, this doesn't work. You know, this doesn't work. Can't make things the way they used to be. A metaphor that the Buddha used at various times to describe uh, this, or that I'll use to describe this at least, uh, is he says, uh, you know, if you take a cow, you know, that's been killed, you know, ostensibly, you know, for the purposes of uh, uh, food and so on and so forth. You know, think about back to the Buddha's time. You take the, the cow and you skin it. You cut all the skin off the cow and you peel all the skin off the cow. Uh, but everything else is sort of intact and, and you have the skin and the dead cow and then you try to put the skin back on the cow and sew it into place, it's not going to fit. It's not going to fit. 
Now try, you can try that sometimes. Skin a cow, take all the skin off, and then try to put the skin back. It's not going to fit. You can try and try. You're not going to get it to fit. And that may be how it is for us, you know, in our efforts to try to make things the way that they were. You know, I think about my own story, uh, you know, over this time, you know, in, in terms, not only, you know, going through the, the pandemic, but at the time of the pandemic, as I explained, uh, described, I was living in, in Berlin uh, during the middle of the pandemic, moved back to New York, uh, and, uh, you know, have tried you know, to put the skin back on the, the New York cow, you know, but it doesn't fit, you know, it's not the way that it was, and it never will be, and I won't be the way that I was, you know. You know, there's that tendency in the mind for things to, for th to want things to be the way that they were, to be th the way that they were. but they never will be, and I won't be. Sometimes I, I mean, I could, there's many fabrications that I go to in my less than skillful moments. Uh, you know, and one of course is, if only I hadn't given up my apartment. You know, when I'm really hard on myself, if only I hadn't given up my rent-stabilized apartment. Yeah. Then I, then I, then everything would be okay then everything would be okay, you know? You know, but that's a delusion, you know? That's a delusion. Yeah. I gave a talk on, on the retreat last year where I uh, alluded to uh, a, car a cartoon from The New Yorker. Uh, and in the cartoon, uh, there was a very elderly man, maybe he was a hundred, maybe over a hundred, and he was speaking to, you know, another quite elderly man who was maybe in his hundred, uh, over a hundred also, and he was said to the man, he said, you know, I'm really, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very old now, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'm ready to die, I really kind of want to die, but, you know, I just don't want to give up my rent-stabilized apartment, you know. So when we go into these kinds of thoughts about uh, wanting things to be the way that they were, you know, we're in a less than clear state, right? When we're in thought worlds, we're in a less than clear state. We're in a deluded state. The word in Pali is avijja, ignorance. We're in a deluded state. When we're in thoughts of the past, we're in a state of avijja, a deluded state. When we think of thoughts of the future, we're worried, you know? So one thought we might have is thoughts of the past and the way it used to be, and then there might be thoughts of the future and worrying about what's going to happen or trying to plan, you know, some kind of a future. Uh, and, you know, we tend to go into unskillful states, deluded states. So our practice is to see when we go into thought worlds. We've talked about this a lot over the last few years. Our practice is to see the emotions that are arising. Oh, there's wanting. 
There's wanting things to be different than the way that they are. There's wanting things to be the way that they were before. There's wanting that rent stable. Oh, this is what it feels like, right? You know, it, I, I looked at my notes. It was in the, not the first class we had three years ago uh, in April when we started this group, but in the second class, I introduced the acronym of ABC. Yeah. Uh, so this is what it feels like not wanting. This is what not wanting the way that this is. This is what it feels like ruining my rent-stabilized apartment. We learn to bring awareness to these mind states, these emotions. And we learn, and we've tried to practice with this a lot over the last three years. We learn, we practice being with things the way that they are. Being with what is. Being with what is. Now, being with what is begins with seeing, not wanting what is, wanting things to be otherwise, seeing how we're fighting, seeing the non-acceptance of what is. So we like to say, you know, we cultivate acceptance by seeing non-acceptance and then inclining the mind to acceptance, right? So we learn to incline the mind to acceptance. I mean, acceptance is a quality that's in the heart. It's a function of the heart quality of equanimity. So we learn to use the head to incline the mind. First, you have to see non-acceptance, uh, you know, because if the mind is filled with non-acceptance, it's hard to get to the heart. Uh, but we can see non-acceptance, uh, bringing awareness to it, and cultivate acceptance by inclining the mind. You know, this is the way it is. The heart understands this is the way it is. The heart understands this is the way it is. And things change, and we're in a process of change. So this is the way it is. Can I accept the way things are? So we use fabrication. It's very simple. I mean, this is what we're doing in the breath meditation, right? So, you know, we're seeing the dis-ease in the breath, right? I alluded to this before. We're looking at the breath. We're seeing dis-ease in the breath. And there's acceptance. I mean, that's our objective, is to have acceptance of the dis-ease in the breath. Oh, the breath is tight, the breath is tense. I'm seeing that. I could see that this morning when I was just now, when we were meditating. You know, there was some uh, tightness and stress in the breath, you know. So our practice is to see that as it is with acceptance. Now, sometimes there's a tendency for us to, like, I don't like the way the breath is, or self-judgment around the breath, you know. But our practice is to see the way the breath is with acceptance. Oh, there's disease. Okay, this is the way the breath is. And just to observe that, that observing, that seeing the disease in the breath and the observing it with acceptance and objectivity in space leads to the arising of ease and our ability to see ease. So this is one of the, you know, the, the, the real, what we learn in the practice, right? You know, it's seeing dis-ease leads to our ability to be able to cultivate ease and see ease. Seeing suffering with objectivity and space and acceptance leads to the end of suffering. If we try to make something happen in the breath meditation, oh, the breath is really tight and tense. I've got to make it easeful. I've got to make it easeful. I've got to make it the way that it was yesterday. You know, then we just create more disease. 
So we learn to see the way things are, to see what is, to have acceptance, and to trust our deeper wisdom to show us and lead us to what's easeful, to lead us to our goodness. So we have to learn to see this wanting things to be a certain way or not wanting them to be the way they are, to see our tendency to fight our experience, to force the issue, and we need to learn to train ourselves to be right here. You know, it's a training, it's a mental training. This is our training to be right here, right where we are in the moment. The breath centers us in this moment, in this moment. We, you know, I always used to say, uh, you know, my, my motto was anywhere but here. You know, it's like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here in this moment. I want to be somewhere else. Yeah. So our practice is to learn to be right here in this moment with ease, with ease, with grace, with grace. And to let the heart guide us, to let the heart guide us, let our innate wisdom guide us forward in this life. Let com our compassion for ourselves guide us, our love for ourselves guide us. With a little bit of help from our friends, with a little bit of help from our friends, right? Because we can't do it alone. So when we're able to do that, then we're able to be in harmony with the truth with the truth of change. Our strength is found in our capacity to be in tune with the truth of change, to be in alignment with the truth of change, to move with the flow of life, like the, like the Zen teachers say, like the water in a stream moving around the, the boulders and the rocks in the stream, not trying to push through, right? The water doesn't move, try to push through the rocks in the stream, it moves gracefully around the rocks in the stream. And to understand the blessing of change, you know, the fact that the breath is subject to change is what allows us to be able to cultivate an easeful breath. We have the human mind and the human heart that can uh, support us in our efforts to shape our lives, that our lives aren't fixed. And this is the beauty of change. Yeah. I mean, we're able to be creative, you know, to be in tune uh, with the truth of change and allow, you know, allow uh, the heart to guide us, allow the heart to sing. So the Dharma student is developing balance, you know, we're developing a balance, right? You know, you know, this is what, you know, we've learned to do over these last three years is to learn to, is to learn to incline to our natural balance. You know, it's not really a physical balance, right? It's an internal balance, a quality of grace that we all have, you know, you know that enables us to meet the experiences of life and to flourish and to be creative. 
oftentimes over the years I've uh, been asked to uh, help support people who are dying, uh, you know, as they were dying uh, in their uh, in their day in their final days. Uh, and what I've learned, uh, of course, and you know, and it was something that I was taught, uh, and it just became so clear to me that uh, the most important thing. Uh, you know, if I'm with somebody who's dying as a teacher or as a friend, is just to be there. You know, it's just to be there. But to be there with ease and to be there with grace and with acceptance. You know, in those moments, there's not a lot to say. You know, what we learn to do in those moments is bring a wholehearted presence and a quality of ease and a quality of grace. That's called bringing the gift of the Dhamma the gift of the Dhamma. You know, we just have to be there and the Dhamma takes care of the rest. So I, I mentioned this, you know, uh, you know, death is always a good uh, analogy for everything that we're going through in life, you know, because we want to try to bring this quality of ease and grace and acceptance, this quality of balance to our lives. So bring this quality of balance, of ease, of grace, of acceptance to your life. Bring this quality of balance, of ease, of grace to the world. And we all want to help the world be a better place, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a profound gift that we can bring to the world, just our wholehearted presence, our balance, our ease, our grace. You know, we bring this gift of the Dhamma to the world. There's no greater gift than you can give to the world, the gift of your goodness, 